It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. On today's episode of Locked On Raptors, we continue our look back at some of the greatest heartbreaks in Toronto Raptors history. And this one stings, and it's still kind of fresh. On today's show, we're going to dig into the Boston Celtics beating the Toronto Raptors in Game 7 of the second round in the bubble in 2020. And all that made us feel terrible about that, we're going to do so with Amit Mann of Yahoo Sports Canada coming up on today's episode of Locked On Raptors. Oh, because like, when I shot, I expected to make it. So like, I don't shoot kind of miss. You are Locked On Raptors, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's going on? Welcome to episode number 1227 of Locked On Raptors for Wednesday, August the 3rd. I'm your host, Sean Woodley of RaptorsHQ.com. You can find me on Twitter as always, at WoodleySean. You can find the show at Locked On Raptors, where you can follow, subscribe to, rate, review the podcast. Uh, it's much appreciated. You can do it on all your favorite podcast apps for free. It's so great. You can also go to YouTube and subscribe for free as well. Big fat red subscribe button. Can't miss it. Press it and support the show. We love you very, very much for doing so. And on today's show, we are joined by Amit Mann of Yahoo Sports Canada to continue our look at the greatest heartbreaks in Toronto Raptors history. Things have been pretty good for the Raptors the last few years, the last decade, really. So it's always fun to go back and think of the times where we were not so happy, even though it's all part of the, the, the journey. It's all in service of something bigger regarding the team that we love oh so so much and uh Amit thanks so much for being here man I'm excited to talk about today's uh heartbreak even though it is one of the worst ones I can recall I am not excited to talk about this but thank you for inviting me on this podcast to talk about the worst moment in Raptors franchise history at least to me to me because it was awful it was very depressing. it was bad stuff it was bad we're gonna get to it in a sec just a reminder yesterday we talked with Oren Weisfeld about the DeMar DeRozan trade and the instant feelings of sadness that he had and apparently like the deep uh trauma that that imposed upon him it became a therapy session yesterday if you oh, haven't damn. listened to it it was a lot of fun uh but today we are going to do so once again and in one moment Amit I will ask you to introduce your greatest Toronto Raptors heartbreak but first we got to play the song LeBron is like a tidal wave, spinning over my head. A dozen put back misses and a brick by Fred. In order to become winners, had to trade beloved Double D. First round sweep by the Wizards after Paul Pierce blocked Kyle Lowry. You're a heartbreaker, dream shaker. Dwayne Casey, don't you mess around with me. You're a heartbreaker, bitch trader, box taker, don't you mess around, Clangelo. 
That's right. It is. That's the first time I played that for a real live human being. Uh, I'm sorry in advance. Uh, <laughs> or I guess not in advance. It's already played. There's nothing I can do. Cat's out of the bag. Amit, uh, introduce, please, your worst Toronto Raptors heartbreak. Put that in the hall of shame, I must say. <laughs> <laughs> Can't do that. Yeah, gosh. Well done, but I hate you, but well done. Um, okay, so this, uh, I mean, it's about game seven, but really it's about this series and uh, this team because they were, I think it's not a stretch to say that this was the most fun Raptors team in franchise history. They had, mm-hmm. they were so likable. They were coming off their championship year where they had this chip on their shoulder because everyone was like, well, at least not everyone. I mean, Raptor fans knew, but everyone else in the national media was like, oh, well, they lost Kawhi Leonard. That was the reason why they won the championship. He's gone. So now they're going to suck. While <laughs> all these guys are like, no, we're not going to suck. We're going to be damn good, actually. And then throughout that season, before obviously the pandemic, we're watching them win games with injuries and all these comebacks, they just kept on finding ways to win games. And it didn't matter the opponent, didn't matter who was on the floor. If it was like Terrence Davis, Chris Boucher, Matt Thomas, Kyle Lauer was going to find a way to win games and make like 28 point comebacks happen. It was that kind of year. It was magical. Then the pandemic happens and we go into the bubble, but still there was expectations of, you know, this team could win a championship. And I thought that, you know, you think about the Kyle Lowry and DeMar DeRozan era. I never really felt like they were going to win a championship. It was simply because they just could not get past LeBron James. And even if they got to the finals with the state of the NBA, they were not going to beat whoever they were going to face in the finals. And then you think of Vince Carter and what happened in Philadelphia, Game 7. Even if he made that shot, they were not going to beat the Lakers. But this team in 2019-20, they were in a position to actually win it all. And I still think that if they got past the uh, Celtics, I think they actually would have won the NBA title, the bubble title. You want, you can say that it was, you know, a asterisk title or whatever you want, but an NBA title was given out. And I think the Raptors really could have won that in that series. Things just did not go their way. And, you know, Pascal Siakam, Marcus Saul, they were not themselves. And, um, that was kind of their undoing in a lot of ways. But even within that, we had this belief that they were going to win because of Kyle Lowry, his game six performance, OG and Nobi hitting that shot, Fred Van Vliet after that shot, saying, in quoting, at least when he, when he was walking to the locker room, he said, they bleeped up now by giving us this chance. Mm-hmm. Then And it almost happened, man. Like, it really felt like they were going to pull this off, even though at multiple times in that series, they did not look like the best team because the Celtics were damn good. The way they came out in game one, it was really impressive. The way they dominated dominated at times, the Raptors' margin of error was very small, and the Celtics had a bigger one, but the Raptors were such a disciplined team at times, and in game seven, they weren't so much. Um, but they were a very disciplined team, and they just knew how to win games. And that ring true in that series. That's where they were able to get it to a game seven. Obviously, when they got to game seven, um, things not did not go the way that we were hoping, mm-hmm. but for a lot of reasons. But that was definitely probably the worst moment in my Raptors fandom because I thought they could win a championship if they just got past the Celtics. Yeah, we're going to unpack all that went wrong in the later parts of Game 7 in the next segment. But I do just want to sort of unpack some of that there. Yeah, I'm with you. This was the most fun regular season the Raptors ever had. And it's such a crime that it was cut short by the pandemic and the shutdown and sort of, I think adds more to the case that the Raptors more than any other team 
were the most affected by the pandemic. Obviously, having to play in Tampa kind of wins that on their own. But like, they also had a season where they were a more than 60 win team by the projections cut short. And it derailed, uh, you know, an all NBA season from Pascal Siakam. It derailed all sorts of amazing things that were going on. And it just, it really, really stunk. And that's even considering the fact that they went like seven and one in the bubble and Mm -hmm. were, and then swept the nets and looked amazing in that stretch. It was so fun to watch those games. I'm so wistful for bubble basketball because a, it's the only thing we had going on. I remember I was in Nova Scotia in a two week quarantine in the cottage that we were staying at, um, just watching bubble basketball every day. And it was amazing. I had the most fun of my life. I was by the ocean watching ball in a bubble where all the guys were rested and fresh. And it all was just so, so entertaining. Yeah. And then, yeah, you get to the Celtics series, and as much as the bubble maybe didn't quite feel like it had the same stakes as, like, a typical NBA season, it honestly felt to me like I cared more about those games than I've ever cared about basketball games in my life, just because it was the only thing going on in our lives mm. at the time, the only sort of ray and beacon of sunshine and hope. And it, it really was a huge, huge letdown to see them lose that Game 7, you know, after a series where... Like, it was scintillating, man. Like, the the first couple of games, they lose those, and you're thinking, all right, maybe they've met their match here. This has been a magical season, but Pascal doesn't look quite right, and, you know, maybe this is just where it all ends. And then they have the game three with the the, the game winner. The Kyle pass over Taco Fall, I still, like, see in my dreams. It's so beautiful and perfect. (laughs) And then the OG making it and all that stuff. I don't shoot to miss. Like, we get all that sort of wonderful stuff to add to the fabric of recent Raptors history it did kind of feel like that was in a way a team of destiny because of they were during the title defense. They had lost Kawhi. They were in a lot of ways, a better team than they were the previous season. I don't think they necessarily had the same same championship pedigree as they would have had. They had Kawhi. That team probably steamrolls to the finals and wins in like 19 games in the playoffs all told, like they go 16 and three or something (laughs) crazy like that. If they bring back Kawhi and are fully healthy, but um, yeah, it, it just, that season ending like that was a huge, huge punch in the balls because it was <laughs> such a fun season all the yeah. way up through then. And, you know, in my estimation, the best Kyle Lowry Raptors season, he had better statistical seasons, but never did he put the team on his back like he did for stretches of that year. And probably in my estimation, the best Kyle Lowry series as a Raptor as well in that second round against the Mm. Celtics, where he was the only way they were scoring buckets sometimes. He was putting Daniel Tice on his ass, and he was scoring with ease. It was a sight to behold. Let's talk about Game 7, though, because Game Mm 7 is where things really, really got depressing. We're going to get to that in just one second, but first I want to tell you about our friends over at BetOnline.net. The fastest and easiest way to check out all of your sports betting needs and get all the info you need to be the informed wagerer on every league that there is. The NFL is coming up. You want to put some futures bets down, you can do that. Preseason, I think, starts like this week as you're listening to this. You got Major League Baseball going strong. Into the stretch run, the Blue Jays are killing it. I'm assuming they still haven't lost. We're recording this on Monday the 25th. They've won six in a row. They just beat the hell out of the Red Sox. I'm guessing by the time you hear this, they're like they've won 14 games in a row or something crazy like that. Go bet on the Jays to win the World Series. You can do that over at BetOnline as well. You can get all the information you need to get injury updates. You get everything, podcast, breaking it all down so you can be the informed wagerer and not just indiscriminately toss your money at bets that are going to lose. Head to BetOnline today. Use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in the action. BetOnline is where the game starts. 
Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. And we continue on now with your first listen of the day, looking back at the loss to the Boston Celtics in the second round back in the bubble playoffs. One of the greater Raptors heartbreaks that's ever heartbreaked. Um, game seven, um, if the Raptors lose 92-87, very low scoring, very defensive. Both of these teams shoot like garbage in this game. Raptors shoot yeah. 41%. The Celtics shoot 41% as well. The Celtics get 11 more shots in this game. Perhaps this was the inciting factor to turn the Raptors into a turnover hunting, you know, possession gaming monster that they are today. Uh, just the trauma of this loss kind of inspired mm. that perhaps. Um, you know, they got some good performances off the bench. Serge Ibaka with 14 points, 5 of 9 off the bench, 8 boards in 20 minutes. You could argue he should have played more. You got Norm Powell, 33 minutes, 4 of 8 from the field. Uh, we'll talk about his gaffe late in the game, but he was really good off the bench as well. Was part yes. of that really good small ball lineup. <laughs> Gaffs. Uh, yeah. Um, yes. You got that really small ball lineup. The sort of Lowry, Van Vliet, Norm, OG, Siakam group that was still very good despite the struggles of Siakam. You know, it's it's worth rem rem reminding yourself that Pascal, while he was bad on offense in this series, was a monster defensively. It was a mm. big reason why the Raptors were able to prevent the Celtics from scoring enough points to blow them out of the water. Um, and then you get to the final minute of Game 7, and that's where it all kind of comes unfolded. It's sort of a close game throughout the Raptors' lead in spots, they're trailing in spots, and then the final minute comes into play. Kyle Lowry fouls out on a loose ball foul hitting Grant Williams. Uh, Grant Williams misses a free throw, offensive rebound grabbed by Jason Tatum, puts the, the Celtics up by three. Also in there, you get a Norm Powell, coast to coast, looks like he's going to try to go and finish it. Everyone in the building except for Norm Powell sees Marcus Smart chasing him down, knowing he's going to block it, and then he blocks it, and that is really, really bad to the Raptors' chances. And then, of course, the final possession, Fred Van Vliet dribbles for what felt like 48 seconds, not just a tight 24, and heaves up a contested three that comes up way short while... Norm Powell is sitting right there, one pass away, totally unguarded, with Kemba Walker on him, a guy who they'd been cooking the entire series, really their only avenue to easy buckets. They don't pass out of that. I think, you know, bad feelings that exist towards Fred Van Vliet and his ball hog tendencies, which I don't agree with, but I do think if they're, they are, you know, still out there in sort of in the ether, it's because of this play in particular that is sort of lingering in people's minds. Amit... <laughs> thoughts on the last minute of game seven where things all came undone Kyle fouling out like it yeah. just everything that could have gone wrong did go wrong and they still had a chance to tie it in the final moments yeah that's the thing is that you know four minutes remaining or four and a half minutes or so they were down eight 
Yeah. Right. And that's an important thing to keep in mind. And you mentioned the defense of Pascal Siakam and OG Ananobi. Both of those guys were so good on ball against Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. Like that's the reason why you have a big like Marcus Saul and Serge Ibaka on the court is because you want those guys to, you know, be not be able to finish at the rim so easily. Right. That's why you have them. But their on ball defense was so good. They were keeping them in front of them. Right. Like that's really hard to do. Um, in any atmosphere, bubble or not, but those guys were doing it. So shouts to Pascal Siakam for that. However, fourth quarter, early fourth quarter, and the game's pretty close going into the fourth, but mm-hmm. the Celtics go on a run. And Kyle Lowry, I did a, I did a, a TV hit going into the fourth quarter, and I was like, look, <laughs> Kyle has, like, has been conserving his energy, it seems like. He has not performed well in this series on one day rest, and that's that was the case between game yeah. six and game seven. He usually needed two days, and that's when he would come out guns a-blazing. But in this case, it was on one day rest. He hasn't performed very well. It looks like he's holding back a little bit. It's time to unleash, big boy. It's time to make things happen because no one else is going to be able to do it but you. Um but he was on the bench going in the fourth yeah. quarter, right? He was still resting and he still played 48, 41 minutes in that game. So he obviously needs some rest and the Celtics go on a run and Pascal Siakam, a couple of really bad turnovers. He had six in that game. And that's what, you know, catapulted the Celtics to an eight point lead. That is massive in basketball, yeah. especially in the bubble when it's like, that was so, that's what was so interesting about the bubble is like, it was just pure hoops. On yeah. both sides, there's no crowd, there's no it's, no that, no nothing on both sides. It's just, it's your five versus our five on who's going to win. That's what was so interesting about, about the bubble. And I'm sure a lot of players are just like, I don't want to go back there and I want to do that ever again. And I fully understand that. I'm sure that was not a pleasant experience for all of them. <laughs> but as a basketball viewer, it was really fun to watch just because of the things that you were mentioning earlier on. Um, yeah. And so within those circumstances... We're watching the Raptors and, you know, they're down by like eight or so with five minutes left. And Kyle Lowry starts making some things happen. And he's also making things happen on the defensive end and not good things. He's fouling for no reason. He fouls Marcus Smart with like one second left on the shot clock um, on a fadeaway three. Like there's no reason to do that. But Kyle, like he's an aggressive defender. And obviously, you know, the stakes are pretty high at that time. And actually after the game, Kyle talked about the turnovers that they had. And he said, you know, we made some undisciplined decisions, and that's what really cost us because they had 18. And while the Raptors were the team that had the championship pedigree, they were also the team that looked like they were a little bit shook in that mm-hmm. fourth quarter. They were they were recognizing the moment, and they were making some smart plays. But in a game seven, usually because both teams know each other so well, it's the margins where you lose it, right? It's the rebounding, yeah. it's loose balls, it's turnovers, missed free throws. And that's where the Raptors lost it. It was like those kinds of plays and also – a series of plays, you know, towards the end of the game. <laughs> yeah, I'm curious. Here's a question for you. Of all mm-hmm. the sort of cursed images from this series, what is the one that lives most rent-free in your head to, to this day? It would be, um, I think it would be Norm Powell not boxing out Jason Tatum. Mm, I th- it's that or it's, or it's Norm Powell being blocked by Marcus Smart. Mm-hmm. I mean, at the moment, like I went back and I looked at the play and I was like, man, like Norm could finish that, but he didn't get his body on Marcus Smart. So Marcus Smart had like a great path to the basketball to block him. So that was a mistake on Norm's part. But in the moment, I could see why Norm was doing that. He's like the fastest guy in the court, north south. So he could definitely beat him down the court, but he didn't get his body on him. And yeah. it's funny that in game six, right, that there was a similar play where Norm did get his body on him and he finished for an and one in the overtime period. 
this time he doesn't do it and Marcus Smart blocks the hell out of him and that would have I think that would have made the it a tie game right mm-hmm. so that's the play that really sticks out to me um it's probably the I mean it's both norm plays that's why I said gaffes because there were a few yeah. mistakes on his part that's a good one about, you know you? by the way on the note of game six we're not going to talk about it that much on today's show because that's actually a happy moment what a game that was maybe the best mm. kyle playoff game we've ever seen uh it was incredible we'll probably do a rewatch of that game and get happy about it at some point um <laughs> but as far as the image that lives rent free in my head it's the recurring nightmare of Pascal Siakam thinking he could post up Jalen Brown and or Marcus Smart over and over and over and over Mm. and over. And and it it just, I think that represents the very clear nadir of Pascal Siakam's career. I know people will point to the Tampa season and all the missed, you know, game winners and stuff and say, oh, that's as bad as he's ever been. That's just wrong. Like he was a lot better in the Tampa season and he gets credit for it's where the seeds of all of this playmaking mastery yeah. started to sort of germinate. He was pretty good, all things told, in that Tampa season and the team came undone. It's it's it feels weird to need to have to say this because all the best players got COVID and were out for a month. That's why that season <laughs> fell apart. Not because yeah. it was like an inherently terribly flawed team. It had some issues for sure. Aaron Baines to be one of them. But, you know, glad to see, by the way, that he's uh, potentially working on NBA comeback. That's great. Uh, after all the stuff he went through, which was terrible. But you know, that, that like, I very clearly that those sort of recurring mm. attempted failed post-ups where it was very clear the playmaking just wasn't there yet for Pascal. And honestly, you could probably point to that series and say that's the sort of like the origin story of the playmaker who Pascal is today, where he can make those reads when he posts up. He's not forcing yeah. it up when there's not a look there. He's not, he's got more than just the spin move in his bag. They were sitting on that spin mm. move so, so hard in that series, knowing he wasn't going to be the playmaker that they needed him to be. And like, it, it just, it felt like the definition of insanity playing out on a basketball floor. And I felt badly for Pascal. Again, I think he doesn't get enough credit for how amazing he was defensively in that series. Like he was, he was probably the best defender on the Raptors in that series. And that sort of uh, speaks to, I think the floor that he brings as a player. It's not like Mm -hmm. a situation like DeMar in the past where his offensive flaws are exposed in the playoffs and he's giving you nothing defensively. So you just bench him for enormous stretches. Like you couldn't bench Pascal because without him, they were not stopping the Jason Tatum, Kemba Walker, Jalen Brown led Celtics. And so, yeah, really, really a tough series for Pascal. But as someone who is a huge Pascal guy and has always been a big believer in him, I do kind of think it was a necessary moment for him too to sort of form himself as a player and of course this all came on the heels if you read the great Michael Grange piece this past year of a really awful four or five months for Pascal where he literally could not leave his condo in Toronto and could not play basketball and I just don't know if you can really account for the amount of rust that would have been on him going into that series coupled with all of the still sort of growing phases he was going through as a player at the time so yeah that that I think for me is sort of where my heartbreak usually lies is I just feel really bad for Pascal because he's got no ideas. He's just, all right, I'm going to try to post up this guy who's smaller than me and it's going to go horribly and things yeah. are going to fall apart. I'm going to turn it over and boot it around a bunch. And and that really sort of stands out, I think, to me as the sort of lasting image of that series. Um, in addition to Kyle Lowry being an absolute monster and moving aside large people with his butt every time he drove to score. Um, <laughs> any last thoughts on Game 7? I want to get into the sort of aftermath of Game 7.
seven and sort of yeah. had they won what would have happened conversation in a sec but any last thoughts on game seven and uh you know feelings the things that made you sad etc etc you get the floor is yours yeah, I mean, just on Pascal Siakam and Marcus Saul as well, because both yeah. of them really struggled from three. And when I yeah. say they struggled, I mean they combined to shoot six of forty-eight Ooh. from three in that series. Ooh. Six of forty-eight. Okay, and you can't Ooh. like that's like that's it. Those are two <laughs> of your two of your seven <laughs> rotation players, and they're shooting that badly from three. Pascal had a game where he shot two of thirteen. Like you cannot. <laughs> rebound from something like that. Marcus Saul resulted to cutting his hair. He was in his hotel room cutting his hair because he'd be like, I don't know what else to do. I'm going to cut yeah. my hair and maybe that's going to help me. They were that bad uh, offensively and off obviously both of them are great defensively. That's never been in question. But when you only are really playing seven players anyways and two of them are not are kind of liabilities to some degree from the three-point line, teams can snuff that out and they're going to use it against you. Um, yeah. Jason Tatum said himself, I think it was earlier on this year, maybe around January or something like that. So obviously before their playoff run, that that bubble series against the Raptors was the toughest one that he's ever faced because of yeah. the on-ball defense of Pascal Siakam, the amount of ways that the Raptors could just get into you and make you uncomfortable. So all this to say is that like, I mean, that was a very good team. They were great defensively. It was offensively where they really just could not keep up. And on Pascal Siakam and what he endured and what he dealt with, I remember uh, after that game and um, <clears throat> reporters were asking Kyle Lowry about like what's Pascal going to learn from this. And uh, he said he's going to use all this as fuel to catapult himself to new levels, just like I did in 2015 when the Raptors were swept by the Wizards. Fast forward to his return to Toronto. Um, earlier on this year, and people were asking him, like, hey, you know, Pascal Siakam, his play of late, what do you think? He's like, I told you all he was going to do this. And he was referring mm -hmm. to what he said in the bubble afterwards. He's like, he used all of that as fuel to make himself a much better player. And he is light years better from where he mm -hmm. was in the bubble. He, and like you said, he was still very good in that Tampa season. I think it was more about uh, his teammates not being as good, but the three-point shot is still something he has to figure out. He has vowed yeah. to figure it out, and he's going to make himself better. And that's something that I think he has to get better at. It's not just you know the catch and shoot. He has to be able to shot create with this three-point shot in terms of pull-ups, step backs and pick and roll he has to be able to hit those shots that's what makes him get to like that 27 points 28 points per game kind of player that he wants to be and mm -hmm. that it really is a difference like his spin move um his mid-range game took a huge step this season those are all very good but he has to be able to hit threes that's going to change the ceiling of the raptors for this season future seasons and that's going to be the difference maker for for what he's going to be uh for the rest of his nba career it has to be a three-point shot God, remember at the start of that season when they were just blowing the hell out of everybody and like Pascal was taking like run up, pull up threes. Like, yeah, man, because I remember against the Blazers, he had like an absolute supernova of a game where he just was like, yeah, I'm just going to step into this three over CJ McCollum and it's going to be nothing. Mm. I'm going to score 40 a whole bunch of times. Um, you know, I, I don't think that was the best version of Pascal. Like, you know, he was not a well-rounded player at that point. He is now. And um, I, I, I Kyle Lowry. Dude knows what he's talking about, I guess, is the sort of <laughs> takeaway of what you just said there. Uh, you know, yeah. the, the man is smart and can see things coming in the future. Uh, we're going to continue on here and dig into what would have happened had the Raptors won. The Heat, of course, ended up beating the Celtics in the next round to go on to the finals and lost to the Lakers. We will examine exactly how we think things could have gone for the Raptors 
had they advanced past Boston. We'll get to that in one sec. But first, just a reminder, you can go listen to Lockdown Blue Jays wherever you get your podcast for free as Ben Shulman and Matt Bonaparte take you through the entirety of the Blue Jays schedule every day, breaking down everything that's going on with your favorite team, hitting all them diggers. Vlad's amazing. It's all there for you. Go and check it out. Lockdown Blue Jays, free and available on your favorite podcast apps and on YouTube every single day. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. All right, we continue on here with the look back at one of the great Raptors heartbreaks, Game 7, and the loss to the Boston Celtics in the bubble. And now we ask, what if? What would have happened had the Toronto Raptors made it through that Celtics series? I don't know if the Raptors were quite at the level, or or Raptors or Celtics were quite at the level where it was a situation where it was like, well, that's the Eastern Conference Finals, like maybe it was last year between, uh, or any time the Celtics and Bucks have played recently, I guess, Uh, (laughs) sort of the the two examples there. Um, Like it really did feel like the conference finals when the Bucks lost to the Celtics this past year. Um, I sure. it was the one before it was the Nets and, and Bucks were the same idea that that felt like the conference finals. I didn't quite get that vibe with the Raptors and the Celtics, but that heat team was not perfect by any means. Like they obviously had playoff Jimmy, which goes a long way, but this was still kind of in the era where that team had those weird sort of decisions they had to make where sometimes their best offensive players had to be out there and it cost their defense and vice versa. You know, they, I don't think they were even as good as maybe they were last year when they made it all the way to the conference finals and, and lost to the Celtics. You know, they were hurt horribly injured when it, that happened. But as a team, they kind of made a lot more sense across the board. Where were you at the time? Where are you now in terms of what would have, have happened had the Raptors just pulled out that game seven? Kyle doesn't foul out. Fred hits a three. They box huh. out Jason Tatum. It all huh. goes right for the Raptors to close that game. Where do you think the Raptors end up? Well, the thing about that season is that parity returned to the NBA, right? So sure. it really was about matchups and who you're going to face. And I remember Zach Lowe going into that Raptor Celtics series. He's like, the Celtics may be the only team that can give the Raptors problems because right. of the the size that they had at all positions. And essentially, sure. I'm sure that was part of the vision of how the Raptors ended up being where they are now. They found something uh-huh. with that, uh, <laughs> yeah, with that small ball lineup. They found something, but they thought. We have to improve our size and get bigger and stronger and more athletic at all positions. And we're going to take over the world. Mwahaha. That was their plan. That's what they uh, that's what they learned from it. Um, and so against the Miami Heat, first off, I do want to mention one more thing. Um, just because there was one good thing that came out of that Game 7 uh, catastrophe. It was a photo of Nick Nurse in the deepest squad in NBA history. <laughs> I tweeted it. Yes, I tweeted it on his birthday. Um, what day are we doing this podcast? It was July 24th, I believe. If you want to look at it, go ahead and find it. I cannot believe if he did not split his pants, then I would say that, I mean, he's got some miracle pants. I tell you that right now. Because <laughs> it was insane how deep of a squad he was in. And I still use that photo for memes and what have you. But uh, anyways, on the Miami Heat, the thing about Miami and the Raptors is that one, they had performed pretty well against Miami uh, in the bubble and also earlier on the season. And Jimmy Butler was exceptional, but the Raptors had a lot of players that could guard Jimmy Butler. And the Celtics, they have 
they have good on on ball defenders, but not like great ones by any means. At least I don't think so. Like they're good, but not great. I think that's what made the Raptors so good is that they had Pascal Siakam and OJ Anobi, who mm-hmm. are so athletic, so long, and all that kind of stuff. And the Raptors' efficiencies were more about them not being able to hit shots. They were able to do it. They were able to get the good shots. They just could not execute it. Meanwhile, if Jimmy Butler is up against OG Ananobi and Pascal Siakam, and they got Marcus Saul as their anchor big, and they got Kyle Lowry, you know, leading the ship, and Fred Van Bleet um, had his moments against the Celtics, but he actually performed pretty well against the Miami Heat um, mm-hmm. throughout the season. I think the Raptors were in a really good spot to beat the Miami Heat. I think they were a matchup similar to the Celtics being a bad matchup for the Raptors. The Raptors were a bad matchup for the Miami Heat, if you get what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think like they would have been able to exploit the weak spots in the defense of the Heat. And, and like the Heat notoriously had a lot of trouble handling both Fred and Kyle. Like Kyle would go they off did. against Miami because it didn't have yeah. point guard defense, right? Like they had Goran Dragic still at this time was sort mm-hmm. of their main point of attack lead guard defender. And, you know, I'm sure they would have switched Jimmy Butler onto Kyle at some point, but there always would have been an option to attack that sore spot. And yeah. yeah, Bam, I would imagine, would have given Pascal some trouble for sure. And maybe we see a continuation of Pascal's struggles. But I, I don't think it would have been quite as pronounced as like mm. everyone on the Celtics has a real shot to guard Pascal here. They could have done a little bit more sort of, you know, I think tapping into that pick and roll that was so effective that season that basically drove one of the best clutch offenses in the entire NBA, the Kyle yeah and Pascal pick and rolls, whether it was the four, one or the one four, whatever way you wanted to run it, feel like there would have been ways to exploit that. And I think the Raptors defense that season was so good that it probably would have slowed down Miami enough to win that series. I, it probably would have gone seven. Like it was not going to be an easy series. The heat are a nightmare team to play. And they were kind of a team of destiny a little bit that year. But I do think the Raptors would have stand a pretty good, stood a pretty good chance of making it to the finals, which would have just been an incredible story making it to the finals after losing Kawhi Leonard all they went through to be an even mm-hmm. better team on paper you know not in practice but on paper for sure like that would have been just unbelievable sort of make movie out of it type of stuff i don't think they would have beaten the lakers in the finals you i think, think i'm so? reasonable enough to say that Lakers team was really good. It was before they traded all players for bad players is the thing. Uh, yeah. And I, I think that team, because it was the bubble, does get sort of underrated just because it was the bubble and everyone wants to discredit it. But like that mm. was Anthony Davis at the peak of his powers. That was LeBron James at the peak of his powers. Both of those guys would have been the one and two best players in that series. KCP was really good for that team. Kyle Kuzma was really effective for that team. I just don't think the Raptors would have had quite the juice. They were playing seven guys. It should be noted, Matt Thomas played in Game 7 against Boston. They were <laughs> scraping by offensively, and that Lakers yeah. team was a bear of a defensive team. They were huge as well. This was when they had good Dwight Howard. They were playing the mm. LeBron, AD, Howard front court. The Raptors' best lineup in that postseason was Fred, Kyle, Norm, OG, and Siakam. I don't think they would have been able to sort of get through the, the the trees, as it were, to get any sort of rim pressure. I, I think their offense would have resembled a lot of what we saw in the series against Boston, maybe even worse, because that Lakers team, as much as it's fun to discredit any Lakers title, and we should do that anytime we can, it was a really good team. And that was LeBron and AD yeah. playing like absolute supernova stars. And I, I think I'm realistic enough 
to think, okay, the Raptors probably lose that one in like six. And that's fine. That's totally an honorable way to go out if you lose to LeBron. Yes, losing to LeBron again in a series would have picked at a scab that would have been very, very sad to sort of see removed. But at the same time, <laughs> they just won a title. They made it to the finals. It was a magical season in this hyper, you know, alternate reality. I think it's fair to say they probably would have lost the Lakers, but there's no shame in that. Yeah, I mean, it's it's such a hypothetical. Um, because of the hypothetical nature of this, I look yeah. at how they p- performed against the Lakers earlier on in the season. There was one game in the bubble, and there was one game um, during the season, and they kind of <laughs> kind of dummy the Lakers. Yeah. And, they yeah, waxed yeah, them. Kinda, yeah, yeah. And so they had the perimeter defenders. Um, they would have been able to slow down LeBron at least a little bit. Anthony Davis could have been a problem. But the good thing about Miami and the LA Lakers is that it would have allowed the Raptors to play their true defense, where they had – always Marcus Saul or Serge Ibaka on the court, two stretch bigs, two mm. anchor bigs who can block shots. Obviously, Marcus Saul was a little bit better at it. Maybe his three-point shot comes around. Maybe he feels a little bit more flowy with his hair. Maybe it grows in. I don't know <laughs> what's going on. But um, it would have allowed them to play the system in, way, in the way in which they intended to. And for Kyle Lowry, I wonder what they would have done with Kyle on the Lakers side. Um, he was doing really well against them in the pick and roll, and he was causing a lot of issues around the rim. Would they mm-hmm. have switched, you know, LeBron onto him to avoid some of that? Then maybe they had Anthony Davis on the back end. It would have been really interesting to see what would happen. I, I, I feel like they could have had a real uh, puncher shot against the Lakers, but I mean, in the end. Like you said, LeBron James is LeBron James. Um, While he was a bit more of an age LeBron James, he's still LeBron, still probably the smartest player, one of the smartest players in NBA history. And he just has a knack of finding ways to win. Um, So, yeah, it would have been a a tricky one. Maybe Pascal Siakam gets in better shape by the Lakers, (laughs) by the the NBA Finals. Who knows, right? It's a lot of hypotheticals. But at least, like you said, it would have been great to see kind of the the raptor fan base and the players feel that that vindication that yes we were that good but that when we played that well against without Kawhi leonard um in the uh, championship season it wasn't just due to the circumstances or for anything like that it was because we were all very smart players who knew how to win mm-hmm. games in in a variety of ways and it would have been nice for them to have that because i don't think we ever got it right because yeah. of the the pandemic and how Pascal Siakam kind of performed and Marcus Saul wasn't able to level up at, with the shooting and offensively it's still an issue for the Toronto Raptors we're talking about 2019-20 and there's still a, a, an issue with their their uh, their offense um, but defensively and even still they're still a great uh, defensive team so we'll have to see where things go this season but that year certainly um, it was a a year missed with yeah. what it could have been Definitely. And yet still, I think back on that season extremely fondly overall. And even the Celtics Mm. series, while that did horribly, there's lots of really awesome stuff that will be forever sort of indelible to Raptors history, which is great. One of the sort of underrated things we missed out on by the Raptors losing that game seven and not making the hypothetical finals is I do think it would have been sort of like another confirmation of something that I think is already true, but... You know, to have it happen with a different team playing Kyle Lowry and LeBron James against one another, like, I think it would have been like a stamp of Kyle is one of the great foils of LeBron's career. And yes, Mm. LeBron beat him every time. But I do think that sort of you always think back to sort of the the recurring characters in Michael Jordan's career, for example, right? It's those Knicks teams. It's, you know, Reggie Miller. It's guys like that. 
like Kyle could have been, or I think still probably is to some extent, one of those guys for Kyle or for, for LeBron, but having it happen in the finals would have been just very, very juicy and delicious, especially mm-hmm. considering the level Kyle was playing at that season, the level that LeBron was obviously at where he was probably, we haven't seen him be that good since, might be the, mm-hmm. the last great LeBron that we ever, like the truly untouchable, transcendent best player in the world, LeBron, that might be the last we've seen in it, we, we've seen of him was that year. And I think it's a shame that we didn't get to see that sort of Kyle LeBron crossing of their narratives once again, because yeah. those two guys have been like, without question, you know, LeBron and Steph are like the main characters of the NBA over the last 10 years. Kyle Lowry is like not far down the billing of like the main characters of the NBA since 2010 mm-hmm. or so. And it would have been cool to get another one of those sort of uh, cross pollinations. But with that, I think we can probably bring this one to an end. Um, any r- 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 last shots, parting shots about this series, about Game 7 against Boston? And uh, also feel free to promote anything you'd like. Well, just on the point you made about uh, Kyle Lowry and LeBron James, because it is an interesting point. And, you know, you think of uh, during LeBron's, I guess, dominance of the Eastern Conference, there were certain players that went toe-to-toe to him and showed mm-hmm. that they weren't scared. So you think of yeah. Paul George in Indiana. He had his moment. Victor Lodipo in Indiana as well had his moments. Jason Tatum had his moments against with the Celtics. And Kyle Lowry, again, he, like, I mean, the DeMar thing, like, he struggled a lot against CLA or against uh, LeBron. Um, mm-hmm. He got into his head a little bit. And, you know, there were times, obviously, with Dwayne Casey just sat him because yeah. <laughs> DeMar was a liability. But Kyle Lowry was never scared. And yep. some of those games, especially even when they got swept and LeBron hit that, you know, ridiculous shot um, in game three, guess who led the charge to get it to that moment. It was Kyle Lowry and he performed very well in those series against the Cavaliers. Sure. You know, they didn't go the way that you intended, but Kyle Lowry was very good in the playoffs. He was making good decisions. He was never scared. He hit big shots. He kept the Raptors in games. Obviously it amounted to zero. However, (laughs) the performance was there from Kyle Lowry. Um, It would have been really cool to see him get that last parting shot against LeBron James, but what do you do? Um, As for myself, content yahoo sports canada find us on uh, your podcast apps find us on youtube subscribe there excited for the upcoming season excited to not talk about depressing things because (laughs) this was a heart-wrenching podcast so thank you sean woodley for inviting me on to discuss all the things that made me sad during that bubble year um and uh keep doing great work Thanks, man. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, I've succeeded if I've made you sad with this series of episodes. So I'm glad to know (laughs) this was a smashing success for the second straight day. We'll have more of these episodes coming up on Friday. We are going to examine a great heartbreak with our pal Freddie Rivas. It's got LeBron involved. It's game one of the 2018 second round. A real, real tough one. Jonas Valanciunas in for a tough day if he listens to that one and reliving some bad moments. We'll have that one on uh friday for you so you had that to look forward to and uh, we really appreciate you taking the time to listen supporting the show and uh you're the very very best you know make us your first listen every day go make your second listen locked on blue jays as they are covering the jays as they hit the stretch run now and we will talk to you again on friday with another great heartbreaking raptors history on locked on raptors bye-bye Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. 
Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.